Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
I've now been studying the book for approximately 35 years and counting. Um, it has been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, truly loving, and expansive book. Now, the word Urantia, and that's spelled U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means our planet Earth. So the Urantia book was written for all the people everywhere on our planet. I'm currently the outgoing chair of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, uh, made up of Urantia book readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And I've been the past president and have other uh, held other positions as well in the organization. I uh, now am host to the Rancho Book Study Group in Manhattan in the West Village, sponsored by the Rancho Society of Greater New York, and that meets the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the year from 1 to 2 o'clock at the uh, Center 208 West 13th Street. Uh, the Rancho Book Study Group is free of charge and open to all. We read a section of the book and then stop to discuss what we have just read as we go through it. And I would venture to say that all those in attendance, whether new readers as well as long-time readers, find it a very rewarding experience on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to join us. Uh, please let me know if you would like to attend, and I would be more than happy to provide you with the details of the meeting. My uh, email address is N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, the figure one, at gmail.com. So that's Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. The Arantia book is now translated into 23 world languages with many more on the way. And it is sold in better bookstores worldwide. And you can also now read or listen to it on the Internet. There's two wonderful websites. I'm going to give you both of them. The first one is Urantia Book. That's U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K dot O-R-G. Now, the other uh, also wonderful website is U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. Uh, there's plenty of information there, uh, translations and a, a lot of other information, as well as the entire book. And uh, you can listen to it as well as read it. Okay, let's get right to it. Tonight, my featured guest on the program is a very dear friend and a longtime reader of the Rancher book, Mr. John Lambeau from Connecticut. A very warm welcome to you, John. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much for inviting me to do this. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this uh, program all week. Um, I'd like to tell the listeners just a little tiny bit about your background, if I may. Uh, John is a long-time sure. Urantia Book reader and has attended Urantia Book study groups for many years and is a long-time member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York as well. Um, that's a very brief uh, description. Uh, John, what I'd like to do right now is a very brief background profile about you so our listeners know a little more about your your life so far. So may I ask you first, uh, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Staten Island, New York. And were you uh, from a very big family with brothers and sisters? I did have brothers and sisters. I do have brothers and sisters. I have, I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my oh. sister is next in line. 
<laughs> and then my and then my brother. And what were your mom and dad like? Um, well, you know, my dad was the um, old school Italian dad. So I don't know if I have to say much more than that. You know, I mean, he was uh, the head of the family. We respected mm-hmm. him. My mother, at least from me, from my standpoint, or regarding me, was uh, I say a bit overprotective. But they were both loving parents that wanted the best for all three of us. That, that excellent. Um, and um, were they uh, at all spiritual? Uh, no, not really. I was born Catholic. I did go to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, but as far as conversations about God and religion, it was virtually non-existent in the home. You know, we went to church on the holidays, Easter, Christmas, but right. uh, that was that was about it. Okay. And um, were you uh, were you did you live in that same place, the same house uh, for many years, or did you your family move around to different regions? No, my family actually uh, we we lived in the town of Rosebank, which is right near the Verrazano Bridge on Staten Island. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my with the first the first house my dad bought in uh, 1962. Who around there? I think he paid eighteen thousand for it, and wow. uh, my oh, parents lived goodness. there until they, yeah, they lived there until they passed. And uh, we went to we went to school. Our friends were there, and uh, it was uh, it was a place we always came back to, because my sister moved, my brother moved, and I moved uh, eventually off Staten Island to different places. But that was always the family home. Right. It was a steady rock ago. of a place where your your mom and dad lived. Exactly. Exactly. And, yes. uh, as far as school, um, did you study in Staten Island? Did you go any other places to study, or what was that like? I did study in Staten Island. Actually, my dad, I remember this, my dad, I, I was probably in kindergarten. He used to drive me around the circular driveway of Wagner College on Staten Island and tell me this is where you're going to go to school someday. And I guess it was (laughs) driven home enough of times that that's where I got my undergraduate degree and my graduate degree at Wagner College. And uh, high school was at Moore Catholic out in uh, Eltingville. And uh, grammar school was at St. Joseph's in Rosebank. Okay. And is there any major events happening uh, after that before you found the Urantia book or the Urantia book found you? Well, you know, Nick, I, uh, for one reason or another, and, you know, I can't, I can't pinpoint why, I kind of had in uh, 19, around 1980, I kind of had a spiritual reawakening, I guess, or an awakening, you know, although I told you that my parents were not very spiritual, I was, uh, you know, as far as wanting to know God, wanting, uh, you know, watching all the religious movies that came on television, really being moved by. um, So it was was resonating to you big time. It was, it, it, it was. And around the time I found the Urantra book, I also became involved in the Catholic Charismatic Movement. And well, what, I, now, what it is was, that? Because uh, I haven't heard of that. What is that? Well, it, it's kind of like a Pentecostal 
uh, Protestant uh, uh, spiritual spiritual movement where, of course, being Catholic, it does center around the Mass, but there was more of an outgoing, um, more expression of the Spirit where there was laying on of hands, speaking in tongues, a uh, sense of a greater sense of community, uh, and that was thriving, and I was very drawn to that and very interested in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, around the same time, I found the Arantra book. And how did that happen exactly? Did you stumble upon it in a library, or what happened? I was talking about my involvement in the, in the Catholic Charismatic Movement, and my friend Stephen, who I will be forever grateful to for uh, having introduced me to the Arantra book, told me about the book. Because he said part of the book, the last part of the book, was the life and teachings of Jesus. And uh, initially, that was all that I was interested in. And he got me to, he gave me a copy of the book. I read a little bit of it. I went to the uh, library on uh, uh, 55th Street in Manhattan, got a copy out of the, out of the library, uh, bought my own copy at Wise's Bookstore. And uh, I never turned around since. and uh you know i you know i will say that i was a bit conflicted having discovered both the arantra book and the catholic charismatic movement at the same time because there was some discrepancies and differences between what the arantra book was saying and what the uh, catholic charismatic movement was professing to be all about and uh i wrote to the foundation who publishes the book. Right. I was asking them all these questions. I was saying, well, what about, what, what about the Blessed Mother? And what about speaking in tongues? And what about this? And their response to me was just so, even in the letter that they wrote, was so loving. Uh, and they said, it's not about that. It's about having a relationship with God the Father and getting closer to him every day. And I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just telling you the story because it's just. So am I, by the way, listening to what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it just took away all the conflict that was in my mind. And uh, they said, you know, we have an area representative if you'd like to speak with him, which I did. And uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been a member of the New York Urantra Society since. 1981, and you know, I brought I, I brought people into that group, introduced them to the people in that group, and uh, you know, uh, not all of them were uh, attracted to the Arantia book, but what they what what they were attracted to was the spiritual flavor and the lovingness of the people in our group. You know. Um, yeah, I can totally understand what you're saying there because that really also was a big deal with me. It was right from the very beginning. I felt so comfortable in such a loving uh, group of people who deeply wanted to know the truth and, and, and were in a, in a real search for that and were searching through the Romantia book to find the answers. Uh, I really did find that uh, amazing. And, Nick, you know, the diversity of our group, I learned so much, not only from the Arantia book, but from the people in, in the group. I mean, there are, there are, you know, Christians and Jewish people and, uh, and, and Muslims and 
black and white and Asian. I mean, it's such a beautiful mix of people who have all these different takes on 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 the Arantra book. You know, I, 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 I said, you know, I right, said yeah. Shiva for the first time. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say I said Shiva for the first time. I didn't even know what that was because someone in our group experienced uh, a Jewish person experienced a death. You know, so it was it's just an, it was an education on so many levels and from so many different sides. You're you're absolutely right in that it's such a diverse group, uh, professionally, uh, as well as age-wise. As we yeah. have gay, yeah. lesbian, bisexual people in the group yeah. and and we they're all embraced with love um as there's just an, it's just an amazing atmosphere and it just creates such a dynamic of 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 searching for truth together uh and looking at that book word by word and and discussing it and 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 feeling it out and what it's really saying to us and there have been many times when uh, in the study groups we've read a passage and john i'm sure you've been through this too, and it was so moving that people started crying. Yes, because it was so yes. beautiful, and it just rang of truth. And it's just—it was—it's still was such an amazing experience uh, to share the book with others. It's—it's um, it's a great experience to read it by yourself. But I think when you have a small group of people doing it together, it's—it's it's even better. You know, personal opinion. Yes. Yes. Uh, And also, just quickly, your first impressions of the book, um, I know that when the the first lines of the book was uh, on your planet, there was something, a phrase like that, and I went, whoa, you know, on on your planet, your rancher, I mean, it it just right away got my attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for me, as I mentioned, I didn't start at the beginning of the book. I started with the life and teachings of Jesus, and um, I, uh, of course, when I was done with that, I went to the front of the book and read it, read it through. But when I first started reading about Jesus and how multidimensional and alive that the Rancher book portrayed Jesus, how the Rancher book portrayed Jesus, it was, it was like a Jesus I never knew before. It wasn't this long-suffering man. It was this person full of wisdom and love with, with a family and his, uh, his, his charismatic nature. It was just so beautiful, both the man and God in him. It was just... <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I get yeah. speechless sometimes. <laughs> You're doing very, very well, my friend, and and I would agree with you. Um, I found such a dimension uh, to the portrayal of Jesus and his family and everyone whose life he touched uh, on such a deep level and on such a – it seemed like I was looking at uh, um, the actual life through a lens and all the details that were there. Uh, You could almost – taste the cooking and and smell the fragrances and and see the world around him as he as he lived his life on such a, a yes. detailed account and that that's extraordinary and you're right i never experienced that amount of 
knowledge uh, until I, I got into the arrangement book and read. And it, my my favorite section too, John, is the fourth section of the book. The book's in four sections. The last section is the life and teachings of Jesus. And I also that's what I went to uh, to to do the um, the whole the whole section of that book. I had to get through that, and then I went back and started reading the other parts of the book. But that did attract me, and I think for a lot of people. Uh, especially Christians, but not just Christians, that part of the book really did it. It was like, oh boy, we've got something special here. What's the rest of the book about? Right, yes. And, uh, you know, it, it opens up Jesus to non-Christians as well because it stresses, and it says it several times in the book, the religion about Jesus versus the religion of Jesus. And when we concentrate or put our attention on Jesus's message, the religion of Jesus, then all these differences really go away because the religions of the world really want the, really want the same thing, right? The, the fatherhood mm-hmm. of God and the, and the brotherhood of man. And uh, that's the religion of Jesus. True enough. And I also know, John, that uh, there were many people that were not religious in the least. Uh, and um, until they got a hold of the Arantia book or someone said, there's something you should know about, take a look at this. And uh, to be atheist all your life, and that is quite a decision to make. I mean, you have to respect the people that, uh, that say, look, I, I don't believe in any of this. I am an atheist, and that's who I am. And okay. Right. But then these people somehow found, or it found them, and they now are avid Urantia book readers. And that is really astounding. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, I agree with you, Nick. Uh, certainly yeah. to make a decision to be an atheist, at least the conscious decision was made as opposed to some of us who find ourselves in one religious format or another from growing up and dumb. Don't give God a second thought. They don't, you know. I mean, atheists have given, made, at least made a decision, and whether it's right or wrong, but they made a decision. Right, and you have to respect that. I mean, that's what that's yeah. how they felt deep down. So, okay, you know, I have a few friends that uh, are atheists or have been atheists in the past, and um, you know, that's who they are. But sometimes they will be exposed to something new. And it's ringing a big bell to them. It's it's resonating to them. And I know for a fact that some of the now leaders of the Arantia Book movement were originally either not religious at all or atheists. So that is huge. I was very impressed when I found that out. I didn't know that. That, that, yeah. that you know that people in the in the Urantia, I, I mean, I know a couple of people in our group who uh, profess atheists and proud to be so, and then they found the book and, uh, you know, realized that God was real to them. But I, I didn't know that there were so many other people in the movement that were like that. There are, and also I think from another point of view, um, at least in the past, up until very recently, um, if you were from the gay community, a lot of the churches and temples uh would reject you because they just would not understand your your life and 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 it was a mystery to them and they really didn't want you and made 
uh, 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 really uh, over, overtures that you were really not welcome in this in this church or in this temple or in this religion, and that yeah. uh, was a very hurtful thing to a great many people for many many years, and that's huge. Um, I know that I'm a gay activist, and when I was reading the Arantia book, I was searching for anything in the book that would be positive or, unfortunately, negative if there was such a thing in the book, and there wasn't. There was a couple of uh, passages that did talk about uh, same-sex loving loving people, and I think that at the time, that would be the Rancher book would be saying to the people of that time when the book was written, and so, but there was nothing negative at all in that book about about that, and that made a, a big difference to me too because I knew I was in the right place. Yes, yes, me too. You know, so, uh, was there anything in the book, John, that that really surprised you uh, in the book? Uh, well, there were, you know, I did have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, the book does not portray Jesus as the son of God. You know, it portrays Jesus as one of the sons of God and Jesus as a creator son of our local universe. You know, in most Christian religions, what the Urantia book, uh, who the Urantia book says is the eternal son, the actual son of God, uh, is not the Jesus in the Urantia book. So I needed to make some mental adjustments with that, but it was very easy to do when they, as I said earlier, when they spoke about Jesus in such a, a well-rounded, full, multidimensional way, that it very quickly became a non-issue for me. So that's what mm -hmm. I remember as being um, a little, a little controversial for me. Mm -hmm. um, and like you, there were things that I felt were wrong. And when I read them in the Arantia book, I said, "Yes, this is it's true." When you know, when the when the authors of the Arantia book say. Why would God have his son go through such a miserable, murderous death the way he go, the way he went through? What kind of a God would we – do you think we have? We have a loving God who we should think of as our father. And what father would want that for his child? You know, mm -hmm. that made perfect sense to me, so – you know, when I was a kid, that also really bothered me a lot. And also, a lot of people, Christians, would say, I'm a God-fearing Christian. And yes. I thought, yes. God-fearing? Why would you fear a God? Why would you fear him? The God, a God is a God of love. How could you fear that? And it never made sense to me when someone would proudly say, I'm a God-fearing Christian. And 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 then the Arantia book says, oh, no, this is nothing to fear. This is total limitless love here. That's what this is. So then it, that was a big deal for me, too. It made a lot more sense. And again, I thought, boy, am I in the right place, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and also, I got to say, too, I wanted to ask more about uh, other things in the book, but another thing was very important to me was the whole passage about when you pass on, when you die, and what happens to you then. 
And they go into explicit detail on that. And I was totally, yeah. uh, absolutely struck with with the the vision of the book on what's going to be in your future. And they call it the universal your universal career. I, you know, um, as yeah. you well know. Yeah. And didn't that also affect you? Oh my goodness! When the book talks about it, says you gain absolutely nothing from dying and waking up again. You know, there's nothing magical that happens. Uh, you know, and they say if we, if we came from a more normal planet, we wouldn't notice much difference. Except when we wake up, we're in a different uh, form, a different a, a different body. And then to your point, Nick, Nick, it takes it from it takes it from there and brings us through to you know, standing in front of God the Father, you know, uh, bringing reference to to all those steps along the ways uh, from, from, from waking up to becoming more and more spiritual, from continuing to learn to how you learn and being a, a student and both a teacher in your universe career. It, it, was, just, uh, it was just logical. You know, for such a big book, what is it, like 2,097 pages? On yeah. other levels, it's very logical and uh, simple. You know, there are, there are books and theories and studies on love, right, from a psychological standpoint, from a chemical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, and then in the body of this, 2,100-page book, it says, love is the desire to do good unto others. My God, how simple and truthful mm-hmm. is that? I mean, mm-hmm. every, I think anyone, anyone can relate to that, you know? Love is the desire to do good to others. Um, powerful, powerful. It's so simple. Yeah, it's and simple. So simple yeah. and so beautiful. Uh, yeah, and again, that says it all. And and uh, again, I gotta say that the element of love and caring is on every single page of this book. Uh, you, you feel as though you're with friends that you're that you're with amazing, caring, loving friends on every single page of this book as it tries to explain what is really out there, what is the truth, and what, it, what you need to know, and what your future can be if you choose to, to have that. Um, it, it, it gives you such a, uh, a feeling of, of caring and wanting to do the best for you in your understanding of what's really there. Yes, yes. And, you know, they do talk about us, Stepping up to the plate and making those decisions after decisions after decisions to help us grow and become more spiritual and full human beings as well as spiritual beings. But it also talks to us about the fact that, you know what, we do come from animal origin and we do have a spark of divinity in us, a part of God in us. And it, you know, comforts us says, don't worry about if you're confused some days. Don't worry about if you feel bad. You know, just know that there is this give and take in you, but the Spirit of God will always answer you if you truly want to answer and say, this is the way. You know, it's just, 
it just schools us so beautifully for this world and the next world. And it says that you have always have the dialogue with, with God, that this, this is, yeah. this is uh, something that's an open line for you and that you should uh, talk, you should ask for help. Uh, you also should acknowledge and thank God when things uh, go in a way that is, is, is good. And if it's not, ask for help to get through the bad times. Uh, it's a real yeah. dialogue here that um, it, it, it's very humbling in a lot of ways to say, you know, you have that and use it, use it, talk mm-hmm. to your father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love that. Again, again, it's just being right on the money. It just speaks volumes. It's so simple and yet that complicated too. Um, so all of that. Now, John, I want to ask you, are there any uh, uh, sentences or a paragraph? Is there something in the book there that especially resonated to you that you either want to talk about or possibly read? And I don't know. Well, uh, you know, there are, there are a number of things that I think about every, every day. You know, at this point in time, my world is colored by the Urantia book. I wake up thinking about it. Naturally, I go to sleep thinking about it. I think about it <laughs> several times during the day when I look at things, when I look at cars on the highway, when I look at trees, when, uh, you know, I just relate it all back to, to the Urantia book. You know, the mm-hmm. couple of things that I mentioned to you, I, uh, you, you, uh, you know, you were talking about uh, praying or simply talking to God in a, the way you would talk to a loved one or your father. And I remember how uh, a little worried Jesus' mom and dad were, Mary and Joseph, because he would go off after dinner or something, or after his homework, he, he would say, uh, you know, I'm going to go now and have a little talk with my father. And they were a little worried because they they were used to these these and thous and formal prayers and everything. And even as a little boy, Jesus would have those conversations with his father as a father and son, as a parent and child. And that 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 was always beautiful for me. Uh, but as a quote that I've actually made postcards up, uh, and I have it framed, and I have it with me right here. And, fantastic! Uh, fantastic! I, I'd, I'd like I'd like to read it. So please do. That's that sounds great. And uh, it's kind of like a, a little uh, pick me up for me when I'm resistant or tired or don't want to do something. But here it goes. It says, "Loyal persons are growing persons, and growth is an impressive and inspiring reality. Live loyally today. Grow." and tomorrow will attend to itself. The quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live loyally each moment as a tadpole. And uh, it's just, you know, so, you know, when I'm reluctant to do the right thing or lazy Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I just say to myself, John, be a tadpole, you know. And uh, (laughs) it just gives me it just gives me that that push that I need to do what I know I should be doing. So, I love that absolutely. That's just wonderful. And another one that I like too is that they they say um, make a decision. Just just make a decision. If it's the wrong decision, if you come to find out, then make a corrective decision. If that's not quite right, make another 
decision until you get it right. But don't just go on and on with no decisions at all because that's, and here it comes, stops the progress of the universe. Oh my goodness, when I heard that, wow. And, and it's, it's such a, and I use that a lot. You know, sometimes when you don't know, well, we'll try something. Even if you're designing something, sometimes I'll put something on a piece of paper and I'll think, oh, well, maybe if it was over here or maybe if there's a circle. In other words, I try things and until it looks like, yeah, that's better, that's more like it. So I'm, I'm kind of doing this creative process based on what the Arantia book was saying. Make a decision and make corrective decisions until you get where you want to go. And that works out for design <laughs> as well as I'm many other. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that has yeah. worked a lot of, of times when all of a sudden you say, no, that's, somehow that's wrong. And then what would the, what's the right answer? And then you do something else. Um, and you can also use that in writing. I know creative writing, sometimes you start off and you, 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 you kind of frame things a certain way, like a, a location, the characters, what's the plot, what's the, what's the, um, the storyline. And you say, well, maybe if I change it to this, or, and then how about if I change that? And all of a sudden you're building and building until you get something creative and brand new. And it's because you are constantly updating and being creative about what you're, what you're doing. So that really works in a number of levels. Yeah, it does. And, and, and that's the whole philosophy, really, behind the religion of Jesus, right? It's a religion of action. And making a decision is an act. Yep. Uh, you, know, we, we, you know, sometimes some of the passages that we see in the Bible are either they're outright, outrightly wrong or they are abbreviated. Uh, one of the things that the Urantra book brings to our attention is Jesus' quote about uh, turning the other cheek. And, you know, that if you leave that quote where it is in the Bible, it makes it sound like you're surrendering, you're being a martyr, you're doing, you, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing anything to mm-hmm. better the situation. But what Jesus really said is if you can't think of anything better to do, turn the other cheek and let them slap you. He was trying to impart what you're describing, Nick, is action, to act. And if it's wrong, try something else, but to do something. And uh, that's that's the connection I make to what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Robin Jorgensen, again, Robin Helene's study group was one of the bright lights of my life when we would go there every Tuesday night and read from the book. And Robin and Helene both have such an amazing understanding of the book. And it was such a joy to be with them while we were going through it, this small group. And one time I remember Robin said, Jesus is my hero. And I went, whoa, that is, let me process that a little bit. And because Jesus uh, in the Arantia book uh, version is a stand-up guy. He's not like just a, yes. a, a, you know, wearing white and being a very he, kind to everybody. Of course, he is that, but there's so much more to him that he, when something oh, was wrong. So then this long-suffering Jesus who, you, right. you know, mocked and, and 
a martyr. Uh, no, I agree. He's smart and articulate and charismatic and caring and loving and practical. Um, yeah, he's he's. Um, and he stood up for what I was right. I see why Robin would think. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I was really. See, I see why Robin would call him a hero. It really stuck with me that when he said that, and I went, boy, that's really interesting that he'd say that. And and he's right. He's right because he was a, a – Jesus is a stand-up guy, um, uh, making time for the, the least little child, the, the, uh, making time for the oldest person, making time for people who were troubled, always had time to help them. Whoa! What what a, what a role model that is, you know. I mean, it doesn't get better than yeah. that. And when he saw things that were really wrong, he stood up for that. He stood up and said, "Stop it! This is wrong." And you, you and and really went into that action again. And I love that uh, that, that about him. Uh, so, and the Ranchi book really does go into that in detail. And that's a thrilling part of the fourth section of that book. Uh, just, just really every single time I go through that, I always, by the way, I don't know about you, John, but I always see new things every time I read the book, different sections of it. That's a, did I read that before? You know, do you ever find I that? Did, to yeah, be? exactly. Exactly. Or new interpretations of old things, right? I guess it's depending on what happened, what's going on in your life at the time that you bring to the reading of the book during that time. And and with that, I, I really got to interject here that also when you're with other people that are experiencing this book as we're reading it together, they will make comments and bring insight into certain passages of the book that you perhaps didn't really fully understand. And in their yeah. eyes, they're explaining it, right? Does that happen to you too? Oh, all the time. Yes, all the time. Uh, where I, I say... I never thought of it that way. You know, mm-hmm. I was at Gary's, uh, one of our other, another uh, New York reader of the Arantia book has a study session at his home. And, you know, I was talking to them about sometimes I really have to stop myself from, you know, it's not always appropriate, right? You know, be, what's, the, what's the saying? Uh, gentle as doves, wise as ass, but uh, gentle as doves. So no. I was saying I was I was mentioning why I you know there's this need to or try to interject the Urantia book and whatever I'm talking about not the Urantia book per se but the teachings of the book you know and this guy in the group said John that's the spirit of truth and you know I've been reading this book since 1981 and he just said this to me a couple of months ago and I <laughs> never. Thought of thought of that before. It is yep. the spirit of truth, you know, putting testimony yep. to what is truthful on the planet right now. So I get what, what a find. What a find is that? Just that alone. Yeah. What a find. I mean, if you and, if you didn't have anything else from the book, just that alone is is worth it. But there's so much more. There's so much more, and you know, I used to think when I first got the book, I used to say, oh, my God, what, what's there? There's nothing left to read now. You know, there's nothing left. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is, the, this is all there is. But then I found out that truth, truth speaks to us 
from a number of places, like you were saying, Nick, from from a fellow reader or a friend or a stranger or in or in a song. You know, I remember listening to Mary Chapin Carpenter's one of her songs that I've listened to over and over again. And one of the lines is, Jesus knows my name. And on that particular day, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. Jesus knows my name. Jesus knows me individually as the person, you know. So uh, this book has enabled me to see truth everywhere. And it comes to me from all different directions. And, and I'm just going to add to that, and John, absolutely, you're right on the money on that one. And it also, you see every single person, every individual, with more loving eyes than ever, with more understanding yes. that they're trying to get through life too, and they're doing the best that they can. And you have to help them if you can, and, and, and send them love also in whatever way you can. And because we're all in this together and we're on this we journey are. together. Yeah. And the Rancher book really just sets that up and says, this is, this is it. This is the way that life is. And you need to be part of that, be part of the enlightenment, a part of the help in, in any little way or big way you can, because we're all brothers and sisters. Right. Here. right? And when you, when and, you understand that, it absolutely uh, what shall I say, makes life simpler in a way. And exciting, simpler and exciting. You know, they present yeah, the journey yeah. that we're yeah. on as, as an adventure. And you could feel when you read it in that vein, you could feel the excitement in you, you know, uh, that it's, we really are on an, an adventure, an adventure of a lifetime. That That is really true. Um, one other thing too, and, um, you know, I just I just enjoy people in general, and here we are in New York City, you know, there, you know, where there's just name it uh, as far as religion, um, uh, the, the ages, um, the, the, uh, every color of the rainbow, uh, all kinds of uh, nationalities. It's such a mix, such a wonderful mix, and um, it is. And, and you you use these these principles of love that are in the Rancher book in your daily life, and that goes on all the time. And it just comes out in many different ways. Sometimes um, I know, and this is personal to me, is sometimes maybe a while back I wouldn't have said something to someone if they, uh, but I see something and I think, well, I don't know if I should say it. Well, now I do. Uh, just the other day I was in a hospital visiting a very dear friend, and there was a Muslim woman who came in the elevator on the way up, this beautiful woman all veils, and she had this beautiful bouquet of flowers, and it was—it just caught my eye. And and I, I, I said to her in a quiet voice, "I know you're going to make someone here very, very happy with those beautiful flowers." And she just gave me this warm smile, and I tell uh -oh. you, it was—it was just one of those moments when I knew I said the right thing. It was right to say that to her. And, and you're doing what you, you, you do what Jesus does, right? The Urantia book says for all the miracles and everything that he did, what he mostly did, he went about doing good. And that's, that's what you did with that simple statement. You know, you made someone smile. And, and you that, went about doing and, good. 
Exactly. And you know what? It's, it's such a joy because when you see that, uh, when, you're, when you're initiating uh, maybe a, a slight conversation uh, just because you want to, and um, it's been my experience that just about everybody really appreciates that, that you're recognizing them, you're making a comment uh, on something. Um, uh, you can be at a bus stop waiting for a bus. Instead of just standing there, you can say, what a beautiful morning this is, or um, uh, just a little, it doesn't even matter what it is, it's just simply communicating as one human being to another, and people appreciate that. Yes, yes. And, and yes. It really, it's, it's, yes. some of that energy, John, is coming, powering me right from the Arantia book. It's saying, you go ahead, these are your brothers and sisters, you can, you can say things to them, you can say hello. You know, and it yeah. does work. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> just, uh, it does it work. Yeah, such a joy. You know, to share whatever it is, just to share that. And you never know, Nick, what you pulled them out of by saying that. You don't know what was going on in their heads that you gave them a little break from by just engaging them. You know, uh, just I, I for think you're right because her, her faith was um her faith was a little bit um not stern, but it may be deep in thought, but um, but it wasn't smiling and joyous. And I said that, right. and she just lit up this this sunshine smile. And I know it made her yeah. feel good. Yeah. And and yeah. she didn't have to say anything. She just gave me this this wonderful look and nod, and then she left the elevator. But I felt very good that I said that. I made a contact. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and everyone can do this. And I'm just recommending that if if you find that you want to do that, go ahead and do it because it's just yeah. part of the joy of living. I agree. I agree with you. You know, yeah. and, and that, that's that, that Rancho book does that. It, it empowers you to, and what you just said about uh, following the the model, the teaching of of the joy and the love that Jesus uh, had in in his life, and he transmitted it to everyone. Um. It's just such an amazing story, and it, it just inspires you all the way. And um, like you said, the fourth part of that book, I mean, the other parts are mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And at some point, we'll, we'll talk about those other sections. But uh, I'm glad that we, we hit upon the fourth section of the book of, of, of the life and teachings of Jesus because it really is so inspiring. It certainly is. It certainly is. And uh, just, yes, just, just to, just to see him, as I said, as that full personality, as opposed to just this one-sided suffering man on the cross, it's just encouraging and inspiring. And uh, it enables us to, you know, to put one foot in front of the other and say something to someone who needs to, you know, to, 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 to trust our guts that, you know, should I say something? Should I say something? That goes back to your whole, uh, when you were talking about making a decision, right? So you made a decision with that woman, with yourself, say, I'm going to say something to her, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you, you brought her out of something for a little bit anyway, you know, and who knows if you maybe loosen something in her that maybe enables her to pass it on to somebody else. So 
She probably was visiting someone in the hospital, probably with something major going on, and uh, yeah. she 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 uh, decided to bring some beautiful flowers to help them get through the day. So, by just by yeah. recognizing that, um, and just making a little comment, uh, it just makes a difference. And she went out of there smiling, and I could see in her eyes that it it was better. It was better that I said that than not. That I was be totally the world was a little brighter. Yeah, yeah, and we can all do that all the time, you know. Um, I just wanted to say another thing too is that just for the for the listeners here, the again, I just want to repeat this: the um, the the fellowship website, youranchabook uh, dot org. That's u r a n t i a b o o k dot o r g. It's an amazing website with the Urantia book uh, in there. Uh, you can hear it or read it, the entire book. You can It goes by section. Also, the other website that is phenomenal is Urantia, U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. And that, uh, Barry Clark, a member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, just has created such an amazing website with so many uh, variations of of the translations of the book. It goes into a lot of the stories. It, it really is, uh, you could spend a whole evening just going on that one website. And I recommend that to our listeners too, to get a taste of what John and I tonight are, are, are talking about. Um, you'll find a great deal uh, in that in that website. Uh, we have just a couple of more minutes. John, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, I I, I would like to I, I would like to comment on the size of the book. I even think it may be printed somewhere where it says, "Don't let the size of the book discourage you uh, from opening the <laughs> okay, book." Okay, yeah. You know, so uh, uh, you know, uh, my 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 the advice that I received from my friend who told me about the Arantra book was, you know, just read it. If you don't understand it the first time. It's okay. It's all right. Just read it, and you'll, you know, this is a book of a lifetime. This is a book you'll have for a lifetime. What you don't get today, you'll get tomorrow, and maybe what you, even you get today will change tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it is a living, it is a living book, and uh, it's uh, there. There are so many interesting sections. Uh, one of the one of the parts that I never realized before is the part of God called the Supreme. And it's a part of God that he limits himself to experience our experiences. So in my, you know, the way I interpret that is this is a part of God that needs us. It's just not, it's just not a one-way street. God needs us to experience the full human condition, and he experiences that through us. So that's something else that um, makes me feel good about the book and my value in the world and the universe and to God. Um, and, um, yeah, and there are so many other parts, you know, Adam and Eve, life on a neighboring planet, um, you know, the part of God, the fragment of God that dwells in us and how we interact and instructions on you know the uh, uh, the best way to deal with that part of God that's within us, and uh, it's just 
it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. It, it's like you're just saying. It's incredibly expansive, and you, you're not the same person once you start going through this book and understanding what it's saying. It expands your mind. It expands your your whole vision of this planet, of the Milky Way, of the universe. It, it says in the Urantia book that there are seven super universes, and I know from uh, science reports right now that they're just beginning to realize that that is true. With the new telescopes, the more powerful telescopes, they're saying they never dreamt there was so much further out than than right now. And so, again, it's underlining what the Urantia book has been saying for many years. Um, And so it really does do all that. And uh, what you were saying before, how big it is, when I first saw it, it looked like a law book (laughs) because it was a plain blue cover when I got it. You know, and I thought, oh, my God, 2,000 pages. Wow. You know. Exactly. You, you know, there, there. Some sometimes people, uh, I tell them uh, without them seeing the book, if I say, yeah, oh yeah. When I have the opportunity, I say, yeah, I've been reading this book since 1981, and they go to me, oh, slow reader, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they don't realize, you know, they don't know the context or the or the the contents or the uh, or or the size of the book, so they just mm-hmm. assume I'm a oh, slow reader. So. Slow reader. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, you know, I've been through the book uh, with groups uh, four or five times now, and I'm telling you, uh, I'm sure you know this too, is that you can read a section and say, holy cow, I don't even remember all that detail. Uh, I need to yeah. read it again. I need to understand this better because there's so much. Yeah, it's exactly. so layered. Yeah. So layered. And it, it will really, it will keep you uh, going and going and going like the ever ever ready bunny, you know. It just keeps going. It's like potato chips. Once you have yeah, potato it's true. It's true. On that note, we need to start wrapping up our uh, uh, journey for today. But thank you to both of you. That was a wonderful uh, exploration of the Urantia book, and your understandings uh, um, shed great light on it. And I, I greatly enjoyed hearing about it. Oh, thank you, Hercules. Thank you very much. Uh, John, thank you so much for being on the program with me tonight. It was a true pleasure. pleasure. I I enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me to do this. My heartfelt thanks for for being here and sharing your thoughts with us. Um, This is Nick Curto for the Orange Book with Nick, wishing you all an enlightened journey. Till next time, explore the limitless love that the Orange Book has. Stay safe. Be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. Good night.
And I'm greatly honored to have Tina Chandler, Brian Chandler, Thomas Punton, and Michelle Brittany on board for tonight's uh, adventures. Uh, greetings and welcome, everybody, to Pride of Olympus. Hello. Greetings, everyone. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm very excited about today because uh, um, the things that we've been talking about for a while are starting to come to fruition. Um, in the Crestfield Public Library, the uh, um, summer reading program uh, this uh, year, uh, as it is in many other libraries in the area, uh, is themed with outer space and flying saucers. So uh, they had uh, aliens escaping Earth, and since I run a role-playing game there, uh, I decided to run a, a science fiction mythological role-playing game that ties into what we're doing with Starfleet Adventures. And this way uh, we could start uh, interacting on this uh, particular level. Uh, so I'll start off with the story that we're telling at the library. Uh, we've had the first session ready, and the second session will be uh, the fourth Thursday of uh, this month. Uh, and then I'll probably extend it past uh, the summer into the winter. Um, and uh, uh, basically, we were sitting and speaking with uh, the various uh, Starfleet organizations, and we got called away. And uh, three of the Graces needed to leave Bronze Age Greece and return back to Venus. So uh, we went there to get them and ferry them back. And uh, um, we received information that there were problems on uh, Venus. So uh, we had to recruit some heroes uh, because we were forbidden from directly intervening. And uh, checking with the skeins of destiny, we found three heroes that had a great destiny but uh, did not survive into the mythologies. So we entered their dreams and uh, we brought them to Olympus and feasted them and uh, asked if they would take on this task to return the three graces back to Venus uh, and also to quest for a particular crystal uh, that we needed to more effectively time travel. So they accepted, of course. Uh, who would miss out on a chance to be part of the myths? And uh, they were brought to Venus, and the Venus was the Venus of Edgar Rice Burroughs, where under thick cloud covers there were vast jungles and uh, sequoia forests that dwarfed the ones that we have here in California. So we beamed them down to uh, a cavern, 
where they can find the crystal. And uh, unsurprisingly, uh, they ran into a lot of conflict and they got separated. And uh, um, the whole outcome of this adventure seems uh, uncertain. So that's pretty much where we are with the role playing game. And uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity to start integrating everybody into the storytelling uh, so that we could start uh, telling our story initially in like draft form, and then we could always polish it up as we, uh, w- 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 as we progress. Does anybody have any questions uh, so far? Not really. No, sounds pretty good to me. Okay, so we have, we'll start off with the Odyssey. And uh, the Odyssey, we have uh, Admiral Brian Chandler and Captain Katresha Stardancer. So are you guys coming along with the Odyssey? Uh, Are you on board uh, our vessel? Or how do we integrate you into the story? Odyssey is usually pretty much standalone as far as bringing the ship with us. Because we more or less are the first warship that Starfleet has actually constructed in over a century. So if you want okay. the muscle to back up the the diplomacy, that's us. So your vessel came along with our vessel, so that means that uh, we enveloped you in our field when we went back in time uh, and brought you back with us. Okay. Okay, so while we're engaged in the mission on Venus, then you're acting as uh, as uh, protectors and as backup. Is that uh, accurate? That sounds pretty good. Okay. Sounds uh, like that. Right back in the firefight again. <laughs> <laughs> and now we will move to um, Thomas Puntan and Simbaka Rafkin of the Five Landian Empire. Now, we have a lion uh, person on board, uh, Nemeus, who acts as advisor, so we have a character. Uh, I have no problem with him uh, being part of the Pride Landian Empire, which would create a further bond uh, between us. Uh, is your vessel coming, uh, the Lionheart, uh, along with uh, the Odyssey back in time, or are you aboard our, our ship, Thomas? Uh, the Lionheart would come along as well. Okay, so we have two vessels uh, coming along. Uh, okay, sounds good. We're well protected as we uh, um, as we uh, you know carry on with this mission. And then we have Michelle Brittany, uh, one of our scholars from uh, Beyond the Edge of Time. Greetings, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well, Hercules, and yourself. Okay, I could not. I wrote down the name of your character but I could not locate it before the show. Can you repeat the name of your character? Sure. It's Merit Pata, and she is a priestess of Beset from ancient Egypt, and she's also a science officer, so she will be aboard the ship with you. Okay, so priestess of Best and a science officer. Okay, and you're aboard the uh, Argo, so you're one of our Argonauts. Okay, so, and how would you spell Merkata? Uh, it's M-E-R-I-T-P-T-A-H. Okay, Merkata. Okay, awesome. So now we need to engage our creativity a little bit. 
Okay, this is Greece during the Bronze Age. And in terms of uh, the story, Atlantis was a very advanced civilization that fell. And during the time of Bronze Age Greece, although there are certain Atlantean outposts, uh, the memory of what Atlantis uh, was actually about has uh, faded. So um, for Merit Patah, uh, in terms of telling the story, there are a lot of uh, associations between uh, Egypt and Atlantis. So uh, for your part of the, the unfolding tale, uh, if you can discover or invent uh, some pertinent information about Atlantis and Egypt, uh, I think Edgar Casey, if you want to base it on uh, uh, something that's already been uh, written, uh, has information on the relationship between uh, uh, Atlantis and then Crete and Egypt. And I believe I the uh, Unarians do as well. I I will do that. Okay. And in terms of the Pride Lantian uh, Empire, uh, as everyone knows, uh, um, Hercules was, uh, the Theban Hercules especially, also the Idean Hercules, uh, were members of the Lion Fraternity. So there were Lions of Olympus, uh, a title that uh, he retains in Marvel comic books uh, uh, these days. Uh, so there is a very close association with uh, Lions um, in uh, the mythos of uh, Heracles and also in uh, Greek mythology. So uh, there are writings about the Leonine races and their relation to the earth. Uh, Murray Hope had written uh, a bunch of books uh, on this, and I'm sure there are other books uh, as well. Uh, Thomas, uh, for your part of the story, um, come up with uh, how this Leonine influence reached earth and how it entered into the Greek mythology. And uh, as Athena is your uh, patron and uh, you speak for her, that should be a very interesting uh, um, insight to, to glean and to share. Well, understood. I will do all that I can. Thank you. And then uh, uh, for Tina and uh, Brian, um, in terms of the Star Trek continuity, uh, we have Who Mourns for uh, Adonis, which was the episode that Apollo uh, uh, appeared in. And uh, then we had the story continuing one of the Star Trek Continues episodes that Tina had shared a link uh, a while ago. And then uh, the only other people who had anything uh, to do with continuing the tale, uh, except for briefly mentioning it, were uh, Peter David in his uh, Excalibur series. Two of his books dealt right. with the return of the gods. And it's been a while since I read them, so I don't really remember what happened. Uh, maybe you, you could refresh my memory or, and uh, introduce it to everybody else. Do you recall, uh, Brian? The books, I have no idea. It's been years since I've read those, unfortunately. Yeah, me too. But, yeah, I have the, the, the episodes I'm pretty good on. Okay. Do you, uh, yeah, can, do you recall what happened on Star Trek Continues? Yes. Okay. Um, short form of it was basically the Enterprise had come across this. Um, it was almost like an asteroid ship again. And it had tried to more or less suck up the energy of the ship's power itself. And they were forced to use a torpedo to actually blow the ship up. But when they did, 
there were actually two life forms that beamed aboard more or less the ship and one of which was Apollo and the other was I believe his sister and she actually ended up dying right there on the bridge but as he was recovering and telling stories to the crew their energy more or less started to power him make him younger because when he first appeared he was very old and it started rejuvenating him making him younger and more cocky and arrogant like he was and during the course of a battle um Uhura was almost killed and he ended up using a lot of his energy to restore her to life thereby you know turning himself into a good guy and he was left on a planet that um was like a bronze age type planet and was there to help people out and not look for worshipers really but just helping people out and getting their gratitude and stuff like that helped keep him more or less young so that's where he stayed on the planet oh wow okay so uh he uh exited on a positive note there yes and does anybody want to summarize who mourns for uh, Adonis or Adonis? <laughs> Other than well, who mourns for Adonis, I mean, they had to depend on worship, and that's one reason why they all more or less gave up except for Apollo. Yeah, according to Apollo, the, like all the other gods and goddesses just vanished because no one was worshipping them. Spread themselves yes, upon the winds, I believe was his exact phrase. Yes, yes, it was something like that, I remember. Um, okay, does everybody have access to the old uh, episode, whether on uh, DVD, VHS, or uh, some streaming service? <laughs> I have several it, yeah. times over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you guys, uh, the Chandlers have it, and Thomas, you have it, right? And uh, yes, I Michelle, have it on Netflix. Do you have access to the yeah. episode? Yeah, okay, I'll fantastic. be able to stream it. Mm-hmm. Oh, great! So we've got the Excalibur book, book somewhere. Okay, that was going to be my other question. I have two extra copies of James Blish's uh, Star Trek Seven that has it in uh, uh, a story form. Do you guys have access to this? Yeah, I've got it. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, I'll have to order it. I'd have to order it, too. (laughs) I can give you one. So Thomas and Michelle and Nicholas... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, need a copy, so I'll, I'll mail one to uh, Michelle Nicholas and one to Thomas. So that takes care of these two copies. And I know I have extra copies of the uh, um, uh, Peter David uh, uh, continuation in the Next Generation uh, timeline with the Excalibur. So when I locate those, I will uh, uh, send them uh, over as well. Thank you very much, Hercules. I appreciate it. That's You're welcome. Appreciate and uh, I'm glad that we'll all be on the same page. This way, the assignment between now and uh, when we continue the story is to become familiar with the original story. And then uh, um, I will try to find, or uh, if one of you could send me a link to the Star Trek Continued, uh, I'll watch that as well, determine how much of it falls into the timeline that we're creating. 
uh, and uh, then I will locate uh, the uh, Peter David books. Uh, and next time we'll talk about those. But this way, at least we have the story that that we're uh, basing everything on uh, uh, straight. Okay. Um, okay. What I communicated today with uh, um, Bob Bossler sent me an email. And uh, we're trying to straighten out uh, the membership with uh, his uh, Starfleet organization, Starfleet International. Um, I believe that uh, I um, enrolled uh, Thomas, uh, Michelle, and uh, Nicholas, uh, and then the Duncans in California. And uh, um, Tina and Brian, you belong to another Starfleet organization. So I don't know if you want to be involved in the one, uh, the other one, Starfleet International. Just stick with your own stuff. Um, Whatever's easier. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter because because uh, the Star Trek universe is uh, uh, something that's owned by uh, CBS and Paramount. Uh, we can't really do a lot with it. So uh, in terms of uh, uh, our supporting uh, charities that move things forward, um, I, that's why I want to tie this into our exploration of literature to encourage kids to read um, mm-hmm. and uh, tie it into the libraries and their reading programs and, and their STEM programs. Uh, and then that will be something we could duplicate in other uh, libraries. Uh, so in terms of the part of us uh, that will be exploring uh, science fiction through these stories, uh, it'll be to encourage kids to read. But I would like to tell our own stories that are separate from what we find in Star Trek and in Stargate and in Battlestar Galactica and uh, everywhere, uh, it seems. Even in Supernatural, uh, the horror show, there's like a lot of uh, Greek gods and Greek myths. And uh, so we could have a lot of fun with this, just exploring all the mythic uh, uh, antecedents in a lot of these uh, shows. Definitely. Of course. Now, before we proceed, uh, Michelle, and please tell uh, Nicholas that um, I have Assassin's Creed Origin and Odyssey now. Uh, Yay! I I don't have a PlayStation 4 yet, but I have those too. I found them really inexpensively in my journey, so I picked them up. Uh, and uh, so uh, very soon I'll be able to discuss uh, uh, those experiences uh, that you've shared uh, so wonderfully in previous podcasts with you uh, as I uh, immerse myself in these uh, particular uh, worlds. Uh, are you guys oh, familiar with awesome. the series? Uh, Brian and uh, uh, Tina, are you familiar with that series? The Assassin's Creed series? Yeah, they made the last two entries, Origin and Odyssey, take place in ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. Uh, In Greece, during the time of the Peloponnesian War, and in Egypt, a little bit later, like 100 years later, during the time uh, of the close of the Hellenistic Age with uh, Caesar and Cleopatra. And uh, um, in there, Brian. Uh, so, so Brian's not so familiar with it. I, I am, as in I've watched the movie cutaways. I don't get a lot of time to play games, and um, so I, I was watching it, and I thought it was really interesting how he would have the character would switch from the real world to the world of the blood, and uh, 
and to visit the gods and to help the gods out in their own things against Akhenaten and and but Nefertiti was on the side of good but she was trying to fight against her own husband. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting and they have the first civilization and the first civilization are the Greco-Roman gods and mm-hmm. uh, they tie it into the Garden of Eden story and uh, the apple uh, bringing uh, um, free will. So they've taken the mythologies and they've uh, made them uh, uh, not only science fiction, but made them fit in behind the myths that we have that are echoes of remembrances. So that might be a okay. fun place to explore later on because it's, it's science fiction and it's a creative uh, use of the ancient mythologies uh, into a modern story. Uh, Thomas, do you play any games? I do play my share. I haven't played the, the Assassin's Creed. I've watched some playthroughs, and I have some dear friends that are big fans of the series. I remember seeing trailers of that one, and, I, and it's got me very tempted to go into that because it takes place in ancient Greece. <laughs> they take you know, many different parts of history. And uh, uh, Michelle, you've been very immersed in it, and you've shared some of your experiences, and they sounded wonderful. Would you care to to share them with everybody tonight? Oh, sure. Um, I haven't played for a little while, but um, I did play through part of Assassin's Creed um, Origins because of the ancient Egyptian um, storyline, and that's my my big interest. I think the biggest thing that I take away from it is being able to see the uh, ancient civilizations as they were reimagined by the the game developers. Um, and I think in a lot of ways they, you know, there's licensing or licenses, creative licensing that they take, but there's also an opportunity to really kind of visualize what the civilization might have been like. So that, that to me, I think is probably the biggest takeaway. I've watched Nicholas play through the entire um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it's just absolutely wow. gorgeous. And it's an interesting story, um, and you really get to, you get to run into characters that you've read about, you know, like um, Herodotus and Socrates and, and many, many others. And so it's very interesting, and it, it actually, I I would think that it probably creates interest in people that are playing to find out more about the characters. So I really feel like this, this uh, adventure that we're going on is just, uh, you know, another way to engage with that material, but also hopefully to encourage others to take an interest um, in that exploration of literature, you know, be it contemporary and classical. Oh, uh, very true. I dug out because uh, I want to play uh, um, Odyssey as soon as I'm able. So I figured until I get a PlayStation 4, um, what I can do is uh, I, I can read. There's novelization. Uh, which I acquired, 
And uh, then I dug out my copies of uh, 300 and the sequel to 300 and uh, uh, all sorts of related uh, movies. And then I went to my history shelves and dug out uh, Irovatos and uh, the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides and, you know, anything related. So I figure until uh, I'm able to actually uh, play this, I'll just immerse myself in the background material uh, and uh, I'll look up and learn uh, about Hippocrates and all the other and Xenophon and all the people that are uh, characters. So I'm really looking forward to experiencing that. And of course, uh, uh, you know, encountering the gods and their artifacts and uh, seeing how that plays out uh, as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I also bought the novelization, as did Nicholas, for our respective games, uh, Assassin's Creed uh, games. So um, I haven't read uh, the Origins one yet, but I'm hoping to dig that out and read it. And I just recently picked up, uh, it was recommended me, the Tom Holland uh, translation of Herodotus. So uh-huh. um, I'm anxious to read that. So And get, yeah, you know, ask, like you to get that background information. And Irovatos uh, is the first uh, historian uh, that, uh, that that basically uh, created an account that could be recognized as a history. Uh, and they used to call him the father of history and also the father of lies, uh, because our understanding of the ancient world was contradicted by his, and he was accused of telling tall tales. Uh, however, uh, subsequent archaeology has proven him right that uh, many of the things that he related were actually true. So he's an interesting read. He, he really is. Um, just even within the last year, there, you know, controversy continues around his writings and, and how true they are. Um, what's, um, what I'll piggyback on that, too, is that when you get into Assassin's Creed um, Odyssey, he will become part of your group. Um, and so it'll be interesting to to see what you think of him. Yes, I, I look forward to uh, experiencing that. Um, for those of you who are metaphysically inclined, Irovatos uh, um, was uh, very well, much tied with uh, the uh, um, Unarius material. And when I was studying their accounts of Atlantis in my meditations, Irovatos uh, came and became kind of like a spirit guide. And it was very interesting. The first time he appeared, uh, without my asking, he, he cleared up a lot of mysteries uh, uh, that I had questions about in his histories. So uh, I got explanations for all the things that puzzled me. Uh, so that was a really good introduction. Uh, and he has a sense of humor the way I experienced it. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if uh, uh, the same or similar characteristics are in this imaginal version in the uh, the video game. So I'm looking forward to experiencing it. Um, okay, so that's the basics uh, of uh, what we'll be doing. And now I'd like to hear what ideas would you like to weave into the story? Uh, and uh, what, what would make this interesting for you? Because it's an interactive story. So it's not just me, um, you know, basically uh, dictating things, but it's integrating your imagination as well. So uh, let's start thinking about, um, we'll, we'll start with uh, Thomas and the Pridelandian Empire. Uh, as Zimbaka's uh, ship, the Lionheart, is, uh, um, you know, guarding us as we, uh, you know, 
monitor this expedition on uh, Venus uh, and, in effect, to get this crystal, uh, what can you see happening or what would you like to happen uh, unforeseen to complicate or enlighten matters? I mean, we, we would actually do – my ship is actually worship. You see, the Prelandian Empire actually has an alliance with the Klingon Empire. There's a little project on how we made the Lionheart. Okay, so very have, cool. So we have very good defensive capabilities should many trouble come along. Now, if we are looking for also Paul as well, I might have an idea if basically scanning you, Hercules, you might have an energy center much like his and much like that of what the lion would look for the scent. We may be able to track Paul's signature and maybe I'll track down where he has went in a sense. And maybe maybe on Venus there might be like he has left a scent there as well. This, we're looking for these crystals. Okay, and that's a very interesting twist because uh, uh, for many years I did uh, cling on things with uh, Star Trek, and we revealed toward the end that we were the Olympians and that uh, we were hiding in various mythologies, including the Klingon mythology. Uh, and uh, received some validation in that in one of the books that were published by Simon and Schuster about the Klingons. There's an obscure reference uh, that uh, you know uh, made that uh, survive. Uh, but uh, uh, we have good relations with the Klingon Empire as a result, uh, also. So uh, that ties us together, and that will force me to really answer your question to get back to you on uh, um, how much truth did Apollo tell. Well, and that's the thing about being a bit of an Earth history buff myself, that I do know a bit about the Greek mythology as well, so I can at least give my insight about that. And see, Pridelandia is located in the neutral zone, so that's why we have a major alliance with the Klingon Empire. We see okay. means of justice like they do with honor. And so that's why yep. they helped us out with the construction of the Lionheart. Do you have and any, I'm also uh, an inventor. your vessel? Pardon? Do you have Klingons serving aboard your vessel? I have a couple, yes. Okay. So you know, one and of them is good, a scientist, and one of them knows a good way around in battle as well. I'm also trained in, in the art of using a bat left, too. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And uh, uh, Tina and uh, Brian, um, do you have any things that you'd like to introduce into the story? You're in Bronze Age Greece, having uh, traveled through time. Uh, we're out on the planet. We're during the time of Bronze Age Greece. We're on the planet Venus, um, and uh, we're monitoring a, an away mission on there by people who think that they're on the same planet um, and that they've been transported by gods and given a quest. Uh, is there anything you would like to focus on, or anything you'd like to introduce into the story? Well, let me ask answer that with a question first. Okay. Um, at this at this particular point in the timeline, have the Olympians left Earth yet? No. Okay. Um, that's a good question then. <laughs> well, for one thing, we do have to be aware of the Prime Directive. Oh yes, I Yes, I know the old Prime Directive. So we would have to be very, very careful not to, of course, you know, here we are with phasers and tricorders and everything like that. That's a double whammy because not only would we have the prime directive to worry about being that it would be 
interfering with a developing culture, we also have the temporal prime directive to worry about if we're back in time, too. One little thing can change history and throw us into an alternate timeline that totally messes everything up. Mm-hmm. So that's I'll make an sure int- the royal tailor makes some, some proper garments. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not just that. We need to avoid saying, you know, advanced technology. We need to avoid demonstrating advanced technology. Uh knowing about things before they happen, going out of our way to radically interfere with the development of this civilization and so forth. Well, yes, last thing we want is to have a paradox that happen. And that would be an interesting Uh, twist. And uh, because we're approaching this uh, through the Star Trek stories, uh, there were basically ancient aliens or ancient astronauts uh, that were traveling and, and stayed on Earth for a while. Uh, what other ancient aliens or ancient astronauts are around? And uh, I'm sure they're patrolling the solar system as well. So that would be an interesting thing to uh, introduce. And uh, how do you know if you, you're interfering with the timeline uh, or not, uh, given a contingency where you have a history that you're not aware it goes outside the accepted uh, uh, parameters of Earth's uh, history, according to uh, Starfleet. Well, that's the, that's the problem. I mean, you wouldn't know until you return back to your timeline. You're you're there with your own memories and your own experiences, and that you return back to the time you're to the time when you've been pulled back into the past. You won't know until you get there, and it's like, okay, what the hell did we frack up here? <laughs> so. yeah. Well, that that kind. Of- that kind of reminds me of a thing that was early. That's totally off the subject. There was an early draft of Star Trek the motion picture that Gene Roddenberry wrote. It was called Planet of the Titans. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but Not it was basically much. the Enterprise. Well, the Enterprise was thrown back in time. This was supposed to be the first movie, and thrown back in time to the age where man had not discovered fire yet, and they had like the myths of the gods and that kind of thing, and. Long story short, it ended up being where the Enterprise was supposed to be there and supposed to bring fire to these ancient people, and actually the crew became the titans of myth to these developing people before they went back forward in time. And what was this called again? It was called Planet of the Titans. It was an early draft of Star Trek The Motion Picture. i got to look that up. I'll incorporate elements from that into our uh, exploration as well. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find the book that that's in. It was in one, um, there was a book that was talking about Star Trek Phase 2 that was never produced and all the problems with the motion picture. And there was like a draft write-up of that. I'll have to see if I can find it and kind of go from there with it. It had some very interesting ideas. But also, um, oh, I'm sorry, Thomas. I'm sorry, Thomas. It's okay. The, the prototype of the ship of that, because I know what you're talking about, the, the design of it eventually was the use for Star Trek Discovery, I believe, where it has kind of that fat back in the part of the starship. But it I know about just, that. Cause the, yeah, that had absolutely nothing to do with the, the Planet of the Titan story, though. That was just a design that Ralph McQuarrie did that they kind of resurrected for Discovery. They tweaked it a little bit. And, yeah. But the the general story itself was this was like right after the Enterprise had come out of refit, just like in the the motion picture, and something had happened. Mm-hmm. So, 
And also, this is going to be very interesting, Hercules, about the dichotomy between uh, our ship and uh, Sambaka's ship, too. Because, well, let's just say this. The Odyssey was formed of a uh, treaty between us and the Romulans. Oh, interesting. Odyssey Odyssey is actually the only Federation starship with a phase cloak. We got the one from, uh, if you saw the next-gen episode, the Pegasus, and actually made an addendum to the Treaty of Algeron with the Romulans where we could actually have the phase cloak aboard Odyssey, but only Odyssey. Very awesome. So that that should be an interesting. Uh, uh, that'd be definitely an advantage to have inside the story uh, where you want to be uh, not detected. Uh, so that is awesome. And Michelle, uh, does Merita have any um, passion or project near and dear to her that she would want to uh, look into during the Bronze Age on Earth, especially in the Mediterranean? Um, yeah, you know, having come from ancient Egypt, um, because she's, that's where she's from, uh, she'd be interested in uh, definitely exploring the gods and goddesses, um, Atlantean technology, and um, I would say also uh, lost knowledge from earlier, earlier civilizations. Um, she, her hypothesis is that... Um, knowledge becomes lost as you move further away from the origin of it. Uh, I hope I'm explaining that well enough, but, oh, you, you know, are, yeah. I, okay. So, you know, uh, the Atlantean knowledge that was lost when, you know, that whole civilization was lost, you know, is something that intrigues her um, having heard stories of this lost city and, and things like that. So, I think that would fit in well with what's been discussed. That would fit in excellently with what's uh, been discussed. Okay, so we, we have a we have a really good start. If everybody, in addition to uh, uh, watching and or reading uh, Who Mourns uh, for Adonise, um, can just basically make an outline of what was brought up here today from uh, where they're uh, character stand like summarize, you know, um, you know, eyes and Bakarafkin um, on board the, the Pride Landian Empire's flagship, uh, the Lionheart. Uh, I have uh, accompanied the Argo uh, in its time traveling, you know, back to the Bronze Age, uh, and am uh, standing guard as uh, a mission is being, you know, like basically just uh, in bullet form. So we can start getting all the information. If we could all do that by next month, uh, I will update you also on uh, what goes on with uh, the uh, kids at the library because their story is going to become part of the role play. And, uh, and uh, you know, basically this way, what we do affects them, what they do affects us, and uh, a bigger story is being uh, told. Uh, when I go to the Amber Dragon this weekend, I have a metaphysical group that I teach, uh, and we've done uh, um, ancient planetary studies, meditations. So I'm going to tie part of what we're doing into those as well. So what's happening on a cosmic level will also affect us, you know, in terms of the different planets and, and so forth. So that'll be interesting. Um, I did this when we had the Time Wars, and it, it produced for a very interesting experience. 
because every, the story was related, but it was playing out in different ways on different uh, planes of existence. And uh, the end result for everybody was really good. Hmm. Any questions or any comments? Or I think that sounds exciting, Hercules. I think that that will create an even wider universe and will help to build it quickly um, from what we're doing as a as a core group. I think so too. And the metaphysical things are not owned by Paramount, so we can you know build on those and tell our story. The more you know, the original aspects of it that have nothing to do with uh, Amtor by Edgar Rice Burroughs or the uh, Star Trek universe as conceived by Gene Roddenberry and developed by others. Uh, eventually, I'd like for us to tell our own stories. But uh, visiting all the different ways that people have handled the mythologies in our popular culture, I think, will be a great way to start and uh, a great way to explore. Yes, it'll be wonderful to see how the outcome built out. And also to, to encourage kids to look into STEM programs and to look into uh, STEAM programs and to support literacy. Uh, so that, that's a pretty big thing. Uh, in and of itself. And uh, with this, I'd like to embrace uh, Roddenberry's vision uh, of a positive tomorrow that uh, basically humanity will uh, confront its many challenges, will uh, solve its problems, will uh, become uh, more loving and more enlightened as the uh, years progress. So that's the, the vision of Star Trek that I'd like to support. You know, it doesn't matter what your religion is, your race is, your philosophical background is, um, but uh, it, it, what's important is is that, uh, you know, humanity transcend being here and reach out elsewhere toward the heavens, regardless of how we conceive the heavens to be. The, theory, the philosophy of IDIC, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, if, more... if, I, if I may, Hercules, I, I'm sure. sorry. Michelle, I, I believe there is a few of the documents that you might be looking for that you can uh, access through the Internet from the, from the Rosicrucians um, archive. Oh, thank you very much. I'll take a look. Oh, no problem. Do you have a link to that, uh, Tina? Um, I will see if I can find it, Hercules. I'll send it to you. Okay, or let's start posting in the uh, Pride of Olympus Starfleet Adventures group. Just so we could sh- more readily share the information. Sure. And this way it will be easier uh, to get the information to each other. Okay. And another resource uh, is, uh, um, have you guys seen the uh, motion picture Trekkies, the first one? (laughs) What does that mean? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Seen it, absolutely hated it. Okay. But the reason I say that is because there are several people that we know that are in that movie that we have had personal interactions with, we know from conventions. And it always seems like invariably when the news media or the movie people or something like that go to interview Trek fans, 
They always pick the people with absolutely the worst costumes, absolutely the stereotypical, you know, I'm all in this and wearing a uniform to jury duty type people instead of talking to the ones who are, you know, into it for what it's there for. It's always okay. to make a joke of it. And that and that movie just absolutely made a joke of the entire fandom, I think. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. We're here. Okay. Because uh, yesterday we had a sound glitch and uh, it cut off all the sound. So I had to think creatively and I figured out how to get back in and get the sound back on within less than a minute. But I didn't want that to happen again uh, today, especially since we only have like 10 uh, more minutes to go. Uh, okay, the movie does have its problems and I can understand what you're saying. Um, people do gravitate towards uh, um, you know, certain characters. Like, for instance, uh, I attend many functions. Uh, and I have attended many functions for very many years that are everything from like local government to um, educational functions. And what I find is that maybe 65% of the time, if I show up not wearing my ancient Greek mythical garb, uh, people ask me why I'm not wearing it. Uh, the other day I went to a concert in the park that our, uh, our borough hosts every year, and it's part of our optimal wellness program. And uh, people who saw me come up to me, where's your ancient Greek clothes? Why aren't you wearing your ancient Greek clothes? You know, so uh, <laughs> I guess I'm one of those people that uh, the press and everybody gravitates towards. But uh, there's a lot of disappointment uh, if I'm not dressed the way you know, they expect it. Yeah. Well, what was please that? don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody with any of this. But it just seems like no. that particular movie and most of the, the ones that come in to do the interviews always pick the – the ones that, you know, kind of embody the whole, oh, that's a bunch of nerds. They just go and, you know, play dress up and do whatever instead of going, okay, well, why do you like this show so much? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't look at so, it from that aspect. So we should make a movie that looks at it from that aspect. Or we should dedicate some shows. Uh, that's something we could do right now. Uh, uh, put down the ideas in a paragraph, send it to me, and we'll make a show out of it. And we'll focus on that better good. than name. And this way uh, we can set the record straight. That sounds good. And uh, um, I am not as technologically uh, um, apt as uh, Thomas is or any of you are. So I haven't learned how to edit yet with my sound, but people are showing me now. So once... Uh, um, I'm able to do some simple editing and add some pictures. I'm planning on putting a lot of what we do on YouTube. So we could do a series uh, on Star Trek and what it means to us and uh, um, put it on YouTube. And, and again, set the record straight and do something uh, creative and original. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be a great honor. Fantastic. I like that idea. Awesome. And uh, um, now, before I ask everybody if they'd like to close with any thoughts or add anything uh, to what we've covered uh, so far, um, I had a question. But in formulating the statement, I forgot my question. So I'll just move ahead uh, to the next uh, thing. And then if the question comes back to me, I'll ask it. Um, Now, what I'd like you to do is think about if there's anything else you would like us to be doing. Uh, as this adventure unfolds and it's just starting, um, please uh, throw it on the table now and I will definitely consider it and I will definitely uh, 
um, you know, incorporated into what we're doing. So uh, we will start with Michelle. Uh, Michelle, is there anything else you'd like to do that we haven't brought up or talked about? Um, not that I can think of right now. I'm kind of the newbie to the group, but um, I definitely like the the conversation and talking about values. So I think that if we can um, incorporate a little bit of the values that we hold uh, dear to our hearts uh, from the show, I think that'd be a great great way to engage in the material even even more closely. Awesome. Thank you very much. And I believe that uh, very strongly as well. And before I forget, because my, my brain has been a blur lately, uh, tell Nicholas that I, I, we can definitely schedule uh, reschedule that uh, interview that he had in mind. Uh, and uh, okay. I'll have dates uh, tomorrow, so you can pick whatever's convenient. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, Thomas? Yes? Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that you thought of that you'd like to be part of this uh, uh, experience we're all having together? Not that I can really think of other than maybe if, I don't know, if the one thought I always kind of pop my mind is if uh, like maybe like how maybe Hercules got, you know, met with the Pridelandian Empire, you know, that maybe he he found the, the kingdom and then and requested audience and all of it, and then Sabaka got to meet him and all that. That's one possibility. The other thing I just had been reading up about Jason the Argonauts, and it would be interesting if we came across also creatures like, like the Sirens and all that, or that there was an alien creature that had those specific abilities, much like that what like Jason would have encountered, whereas we're doing this. That would be awesome, and uh, I will invite you to that. Uh, I do Argonaut voyages all the time, uh, some of them metaphysical, some of them fictive, some of them uh, developmental, some of them. Uh, I, there was an ancient legend that there was a Argonaut expedition led by Hercules, uh, and that survives in Diodorus Siculus in, in some form, uh, although mangled, and uh, the film uh, with uh, Steve Reeves, uh, contains echoes of that as well. But that's always been something that's fascinated me. Uh, so as I've become an adult, I've made that come true. So I've run countless Argonaut expeditions. I'd be glad to run one with you uh, to do like an outer space odyssey where we encounter the equivalence of those things. So that will definitely be on the uh, agenda. And uh, you and I can write a interactive story uh, about uh, – um, Hercules visiting the Pridelandian Empire. So those two we can definitely uh, integrate as well. That would be great. And I remember the question I asked, and it was specifically directed towards uh, Tina and Brian. So uh, I'll ask uh, you guys first, is there anything else you would like to incorporate uh, into what we have on the table? Oy, they. Uh- <laughs> we need a planet we need a planet killer. No, we don't. No. Um, <laughs> no. no planet killer. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No. Um, actually, what I was thinking is if we're going to do this whole thing with, um, you know, like the Olympian gods and stuff, why not? Why stop there? There were other versions of those, you know, beings that had been popping up through history. There was the Roman gods. There was the uh, the Greek gods, that sort of thing. What if there's more than one version of these? beings running around out there 
That's an excellent idea, and it's uh, one that uh, Michelle and Nicholas and I had discussed uh, in the past. So uh, we will definitely put that into the mix as well. Uh, we can have as uh, Merrick Ta is uh, researching the uh, um, Egyptian gods that she uncovers some information or has an encounter or a visitation from Bastet, and that opens the door to exploring those uh, mysteries as well. That's an excellent idea. Mm, okay. okay. And Tina, Sounds you? Good. Um, okay, no, I'm remember. not bringing in a planet killer. You shot me. Jeez, I'm so <laughs> going planet killer, planet killer. No, no cream horn. <laughs> and I, I remember the question I posed. Uh, uh, both of you, uh, Tina and Brian, you said that you encountered two or three other groups who'd like to play along. If we can track them down, yes. I know there's a Klingon group based out of Naples down here, so I'm not sure if they'd uh, want to do something like this or not, but I'll definitely find out Delta, for sure. Delta, Delta, Delta Fleet? Delta yeah, Fleet. I'll, I'll have to check in with Delta Fleet, too. Okay, if, if now that we're not, we're not just adventure with Starfleet International, um, we're going to be adventuring with anybody who wants to adventure. Um, and uh, I'm putting you know stuff together so that we could be like a, a separate uh, entity. Um, but, uh, yeah, if anybody who would like to play, and uh, Thomas and uh, Michelle, if you know of anybody, other uh, individuals or groups who like to play, they're more than welcome to as well. Oh, certainly. Okay, so for next time, get the outlines uh, together and start exploring the information, become familiar with the core story, uh, and uh, we will take it from there. And uh, next time, let's talk about uh, costuming and let's talk about conventions. We might as well start becoming active there uh, as well. Sounds good. Would anybody like to share? Contact information before we close. Uh, uh, Thomas, would you like to share your contact information? Um, you can find me on Facebook, both as Thomas Putton and Simbacher Ficken. I have both two separate pages on there. And then I also have the Great North Pagan Podcast, which you can find on YouTube as well, which I've been doing a lot of storytelling, which I actually done, I actually did an episode recently of uh, Hercules and the Twelve Labors. <laughs> oh, awesome. So you can find me on there. Post that on in uh, the the group or on my page. I, I'd love to hear it. I will do. <laughs> Tina and Brian? We have a bunch. Um, there's our personal pages, which are under our names, obviously. Um, I have one for the Odyssey. Um, it's USS Odyssey Star Trek Fan Club. And I have one for the store, which is comics, cards, and stuff. Thank you very much. And last but not least, uh, Michelle. Yeah, um, so I have a webpage. It's just michellebrittany.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Michelle Brittany Writes. Um, I also have Instagram that's mbrittanywrites um, and Twitter, although I don't use Twitter very much. Um, and then I also have a blog, which I haven't been as um, diligent with over the last few months, but it's uh, – Michelle's Musings on Mummies. Thank you to everybody. You're extremely uh, awesome, and uh, I'm blessed to know all of you. Until next time, joyous journeys and happy adventures to you, uh, our guests, and to all those who listened uh, from home. Thank you, Hercules. Thank you so much, Hercules. Thank you.
Okay, be well. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>